Project Hope Exchange is a website where people can upload, as we just saw, 30-second stories of how they overcame adversity. Uh, other people in need of some hope can search through the database and, and, and listen to the stories for a, a jolt of optimism. Now, honestly, I, f- I found the website this week, and it seems, honestly, kind of secular and, and, and silly to me. Um, but apparently thousands and thousands of people have visited the site and listened to the story. So apparently they're scratching somebody's itch. And it did raise a good question for me, and perhaps for you. When you're overwhelmed by the challenges of life, where do you find your hope? Where do you go for your inspiration when you're ready to give up? We are people in need of hope. Cancer, mental illness, racism, pandemics, politics, war. It can all make the world seem so bleak. It's just easy to kind of want to give up from time to time or phone it in. We need hope, but where do we find it? Or rather, where should we find our hope? The people of Judah were a nation looking for hope. Their homeland had been destroyed and they had been exiled to to Babylon, uh, surrounded by paganism and immorality. Finally, after 70 years, God liberates them and promises to bring them back to their homeland. But what hope do they have that things might go well for them this time? What reason do they have to hope that God might provide and and, and protect them? Uh, Their hopes have been dashed before. Knowing their reluctance to hope in a better future, God speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah. He tells them where they can find their hope, and he tells us where we can find ours. As you probably know, we've been studying the book of Isaiah here at Rooftop in an extended study for a while uh, in a series called Isaiah for Today. Isaiah was a prophet, lived in the 8th century before Jesus. Uh, Isaiah was tasked by God to warn his nation, the people of Judah, that unless they repented of their immorality and their, their paganism and their sin, they would be destroyed by their enemies. They did not repent, so they were thus destroyed uh, and then exiled to Babylon. God did not give up on them, though, and God promised to bring them back. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring us back. But things are going to have to be different. They could not return to their old idolatrous ways. God brings them back to do things differently. So we're calling this the sub-series of Isaiah the way back because Isaiah describes the steps that they need to take in order to be restored to God. So over the course of this series, we've talked about some of the steps uh, God gives us through Isaiah of being restored to God. Uh, we need to uh, lament and repent of our sin. Uh, last week we talked about we need to trust God, fear less. And this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of having hope. Having hope that God has something better in mind for us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about hope. And the passage that I want to read and study with you this morning is actually a very well-known passage from Isaiah chapter 40. It's part of a a very long, very important poem uh, that I have reluctantly trimmed for length. But I want to read to you the guts of it. It's Isaiah 40, verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? The Lord sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. 
He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, to state the obvious, this passage is about God. Uh, But not just any old God. This passage is about Yahweh, the God of the Israels. Yahweh is the name that God gives of himself to Moses in the book of Exodus. Uh, Yahweh means I am that I am, or something like that. It's quite famously hard to translate. It's actually impossible to even know how to pronounce the name Yahweh. But Yahweh was such a a sacred name that ancient Jews wouldn't even say it. Translators of, of English translations of the Bible, they actually choose to translate Yahweh in the Bible in English as Lord in all caps out of respect for the name. So anytime you're reading uh, your Old Testament scriptures and you see Lord in all caps, that's an English translation of Yahweh, out of respect. So the passage is about Yahweh. In general, Yahweh is asserting his identity here. God reminds the people of Judah that he is, for example, incomparable. There is no one like him. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, he asks. Yahweh is also sovereign. He sits above the heavens, looking down on humans like grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing, we read. Yahweh is also attentive. He's not an absent ruler. He sees all. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. He knows each of the stars and their names. Oh, that's Alpha Centauri. Oh, there's Sirius. Oh, that's Betelgeuse. Oh, Polaris over there. We also learn that Yahweh is everlasting. He has always existed. He is the first. He is the last. He will not grow tired or weary, writes the prophet. And before this passage, we learn actually, in the section earlier, more about who Yahweh is. In verse 11, we learn that Yahweh is tender. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. This is Yahweh. This is the the Holy One of Israel. He is incomparable, sovereign, attentive, everlasting, tender. He is everything and more. He's the hope we need. And that's, Isaiah says, the sum of this. Because Yahweh is incomparable, sovereign, tender, everlasting, attentive, uh, we can hope in him. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, Isaiah writes, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. Hope is a theme in the book of Isaiah. The book brims with judgment and violence. Yes, we've seen that. But it also overflows with hope. But not just any old hope. It's hope in the Lord. As the prophet has said here, and as he says elsewhere in chapter 49, you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Those who hope in me, Isaiah writes. There's lots of things, you know, there's lots of things we can put our hope in, right? We can put our hope in stimulus checks. Free money. We can put our hope in uh, marriage counselors. We can put our hope in doctors. And they, you know, not hopeless by putting our hope there, but can they ultimately give us what we're truly seeking? Only Yahweh is our true and lasting hope. Well, what is hope? What are we even talking about? Let's define our terms before we get too far into the, the conversation here. I would define hope this way. I would define hope as a feeling or expectation that what we want for the future can be had, and a belief that things can and will get better. That's what hope is. It's a feeling and expectation that things can and will get better. And hope is an essential part of human living. Uh, we are a naturally hopeful species. It's sort of part of our DNA. Hope is, is one of the things that has kept the human species alive for a very long time. Hope, hope is what gets us up in the morning, keeps us trucking day after day. The hope that, you know, maybe today will go better than yesterday, or maybe today it won't go worse than yesterday. Uh, hope is what motivates us to try things again that didn't go well the first time. Marriage, doctors, church. Well, maybe this one will work. Uh, hope is what makes Cincinnati Reds fans show up to the stadium year after year after year after year. Hope is what powers political campaigns. Hope. We know that hope is an essential part of, of being alive. Uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote, put it this way, hope is an essential constituent of human life. Science has actually proven this. Maybe you're aware, for example, of a famous experiment done by Carl Richter in the 1950s. Carl Richter was a, uh, a researcher at Johns Hopkins. Richter wanted to test the resiliency of rats. It's an interesting thing to want to test. Hmm, today, I think I'll test the resiliency of rats. So he took a dozen or so rats and he dropped them in buckets of water. Now, rats, in case you didn't know this, are notoriously good swimmers. So the rats swam around quite easily looking for a way out of, the, out of the bucket. After about 15 minutes of swimming, though, the rats just kind of together in separate buckets, they just kind of gave up. They just stopped swimming and drowned. There was no point, so they just, after 15 minutes, they just died. In the next experiment, Richter put another dozen rats or so into the buckets, and he, and he watched them, and then just as they were about to like, go under, at about the 15-minute mark, he pulled them all out, and he dried them all. Gave them a little cuddle, gave them a little rat snack, gave them a break, and they put them back in. What do you think happened? They swam for two and a half days. Two and a half days before, like, glug, glug, glug. Now, honestly, it's a pretty gruesome experiment, right? Let's drown some rats. But Richter drew an interesting conclusion here. What kept the rats alive for two and a half days? Hope. They had been rescued 
and had reason to keep swimming, hoping that they would be rescued again. What killed the first group of rats? Hopelessness. They had no reason to keep swimming. Now, to be sure, we're not rats. (laughs) We're human beings. But we need hope even more than rats do. Our lives are more meaningful. The challenges we face are even greater. The world is attempting to drown us in all kinds of ways with constant problems and threats. It's easy to just give up swimming. We need hope to keep going. As the book of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So without hope that our dreams may come true, we get sick, we stop swimming, we die. Hope is such an important part of life that I want to talk to you about it this morning. I have four random thoughts on hope to talk to you about this morning. And if you can believe this, uh, my four points spell out the word rats. No, this is not the word hope. Four random thoughts on hope. First, hope is hard. Uh, Hope isn't easy. Uh, Much of our hope involves waiting, and we aren't good waiters. Uh, In fact, in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are are frequently translated as hope. Uh, The word yachal and kavah. Uh, Both of these two words can be translated hope, but they can also more literally probably be translated as to wait. To hope is to wait. Like when the prophet Isaiah writes, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. Waiting is hoping, but waiting isn't easy. In fact, one of these Hebrew words has a little bit of a a, a twist and a nuance to it that I think highlights the the difficulty of waiting. The word hava means to wait in a state of tension. It's the same word used to describe pulling a rope really tightly while you're waiting for it to snap. So waiting can be a a tense and exhausting experience. How long will I be waiting? What am I waiting for? When will I snap? Hope is hard. It's hard for everybody. Really hard for some, though. I heard a preacher talk recently about Eeyore people. Do you know who Eeyore is? Eeyore is the gray stuffed donkey from Disney, Morty the Pooh. Uh, Eeyore is known for his determined pessimism and gloomy outlook on life. Uh, Eeyore can come in human form, too. Raise your hand if you are or know an Eeyore person. Raise them high. Right. We all know Eeyore people. Uh, Eeyore people have trouble thinking that hope is worth it. It'll never get better. Eeyore people say, I'm just going to screw it up, they say. Now, for the most part, I'm not making fun of Eeyore people, even though it sounds like I am. I'm not, because I know Eeyore people don't like being Eeyore people. Some Eeyore people have actual chemical imbalances, which make it hard for them to maintain a positive outlook on life. Also, many people in the world have been traumatized uh, physically, emotionally, sexually, that makes it hard to maintain a positive outlook on life. Tragedy has a way of turning normally optimistic people into Eeyore people. For some people, hope is especially hard, but for all people, it really can feel risky. 
I mean, we hope that things get better, and we've hoped that things would get better before, only to see our dreams dashed. Why hope again? It's like that uh, very famous argument that Andy Dufresne and Otis Redding have in Shawshank Redemption. They're stuck in prison. Um, Both of them have life sentences, and Andy is holding on to hope that he might someday be free. And what does Red tell him? Hope? Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. A lot of us know exactly what he's talking about. Hope is dangerous. It feels risky. It can feel like we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. If you struggle with hope, if you're, if you're an ER person, you at least need to understand that God gets that. But you also need to understand that contrary to Otis Redding, Without hope, you will drown. Hope is hard. Secondly, hope is not optimism. Catch the not in there. It's not optimism. When a lot of people use the word hope, they think that we're talking about being optimistic, trying to find good in something, looking for the silver lining. In other words, life is complicated right now. But, you know, let's, let's be optimistic, have a, a positive outlook. Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe our luck will change. That's not hope. What I mean is optimism is always looking for a reason to be positive, but sometimes there is none. Sometimes we need something more than optimism. Hope is not optimism. Hope is rooted in the supernatural promise of God to bring happiness and healing to our lives and world, regardless of how bleak things look. Biblical hope is confidence that no matter how hopeless things are, and sometimes they are very hopeless, God can make them turn out for good by his own power and strength. It's kind of like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Maybe you know the story of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. These, these people, Abraham and Sarah, were really old. They were, really, they were like 90 years old. And then God came down and said, hey, Sarah, I'm going to bless you with a child. She was way past child. I mean, imagine your 90-year-old grandma having a baby. Don't picture that. <laughs> and you know what we're talking about. But God told Abraham and Sarah that they would be parents, and they chose to believe, and God blessed them with a child. And as Paul writes later in the book of Romans, against all hope, against all hope, there was no reason to hope, right? Nine-year-old ladies don't have babies. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, still believed, and so became the father of many nations. Why did he believe? Because the circumstances might, you know, turn out for good? No, because... The Lord had promised to do something here. Nine-year-old ladies don't have babies. Abraham's hope was in something bigger, something more impossible that God said he would do. His hope was in the power of God to work a miracle. That's more than optimism. You see, optimism can only get you so far. Trust me. When our son Mitchell was lying in a hospital, there was very little reason for hope. Doctors had given us very little reason to hope. We try to be optimistic, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe this will work, maybe this will work. We'll stay positive. But in the face of death, staying positive starts seeming ridiculous. At some point, you just need to yield to the facts. What are the facts? 
Our problems are bigger than what medicine can solve. Our, our, our situation is more, than, more dire than what politicians can deliver us from. We don't need to stay positive. We need to trust that the God of Israel will be true to his promise. And what's his promise? His promise is to deliver us from sin and death as he delivered his son. That's not optimism, that's hope. If, if we, all we have is optimism that things might get better here on earth, we're in trouble. Because you know as well as I do, sometimes things don't get better. I mean, think about it. In, there, in the end, we're all going to die. What's optimistic about that? As Paul writes, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, our hope is more than earthly optimism. Our hope is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, can and will rescue us from sin and death despite the odds, despite the circumstances. Hope is hard. Hope is not optimism. Thirdly, hope is based in the past. One of the most common commands that you read in the Bible is the command to remember. God was always telling his people of Israel and of Judah to, to, to remember. What were they to remember? He wanted them to remember what he had done and how he had rescued them from slavery, from their enemies, from the wilderness. God's actions in the past were the grounds for them hoping that he would deliver them again. We've already seen this in Isaiah. In the book, God reminds the people to trust what he's already done. As he says in chapter 50, when I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dried up the sea. I turned rivers into a desert. Their fish rotted for lack of water and died of thirst. That's a reference to the Exodus when God led Israel through the wilderness, through the Red Sea by drying it up. And he's telling them again, I can get you back home to Jerusalem from Babylon. I know you have to walk through a long, long desert, but we've done this before. I can do it again. I've turned seas into deserts before. I can, we can do this. Our hope in God is based on what we've already seen him do. We need to remember this. I mean, how many times do, do you and I start freaking out uh, while we're in situations that we've been in before? Well, how are we going to get out of this like we did the last time? Am I the only one who does that, just starts freaking out when I'm in the middle of a situation that God has rescued me from before? Uh, for example, every now and then, uh, people leave our church for, for reason, different reasons, good or bad. It always, it always freaks me out. And I just start freaking out about our future. How are we going to make it? I mean, I've been pastoring for rooftop for 20 years. I still lie awake at night fretting over the latest departure, wondering how we're possibly going to make it through. And, and I can imagine, like, Yahweh in heaven, like, shaking his head. Matt! We have been through this literally hundreds and hundreds of times. I can get you through this crisis. You'll be okay. This is not the end of the world. Take a breath. Meditate. Consider the birds. Do whatever you need to do. I have to remember that, that what God has gotten me through before, God can get me through again. Now, don't take this to mean that God will come through for us all the time, every time here on earth. God's agenda for you and I is not to help us get through life on earth. 
More than not, God's agenda for us here on earth involves great suffering. Yay! Let me say that again because it's really important to understand. Especially if you're here investigating Christianity and you're like, what am I going to sign up for? Well, let me just make this plain and clear. God's agenda for us here on earth involves great suffering. One more time. God's agenda for us here on earth involves great suffering. Why? Well, because suffering is how we are changed the most. Suffering is, is how we learn to identify with Christ, which is the ball game. Suffering is how we learn to trust God that he can get us through. And, and, and suffering is where we learn our hope. Hope in something greater than earthly happiness. As Paul writes in Romans, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We glory in our sufferings. Yay! Maybe not like that. <laughs> because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. Think about Jesus. I mean, did things go well for him on earth? No. He was hounded, he was homeless, he was persecuted, he was rejected, he was tortured, he was killed. He knew that was the deal, but did he lose hope? No. He knew that God would rescue him from death just as he rescued Israel from Egypt. His hope, Jesus' hope was not that he would live another five years to see his grandkids or, or that he would, you know, maybe get the promotion. His hope was that God would raise him from the dead and vanquish evil eternally. That was his hope. That's our hope too. Our hope is that God will do in us what he did in Jesus. And we can have confidence that he will because he did. As Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope, the hope we have, it's not dead. Our hope is alive. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and showed us that what God has done in the past, he will do again. Hope is hard. Hope is not optimism. Hope is based on the past. And lastly, hope is everything. Like I said earlier, people have a hard time living without hope. Uh, hope is what gets us up in the morning. Hope that today might go a little bit better than yesterday, or at least not go any worse than yesterday. Uh, e even the psalmist pleads with God that God make good on his hope. Sustain me, he writes, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Without hope, what is there? We're just dashed. Not only is hope essential for faith, but so much flows out of our hope. So much of what God wants to give us comes from hope. Paul writes to the Colossians these words. He says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, for, here's the key phrase, for the love, the faith and the love that spring from the hope he has stored up for us in heaven. It's the hope of what God has stored up for us that sustains our faith and inspires our love. Everything comes from hope. We love God and we love each other because of the hope that God has promised us that it will be worth it. We persevere in life because of the hope we have in Jesus. We are generous with our time, with our money, because of the hope we have that God will care for us. Hope is where we get our love, our perseverance, our faith, our generosity. Everything comes from our hope. Hope is also where we get our strength, our courage to keep going. 
Which brings us back to Isaiah, as we read a moment ago. The Lord gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our hope in God is our strength. When we are tired of life, when we are tired of pandemics, when we are tired of cancer, when we are tired of family drama, when we are tired of racial violence, when we are tired of discrimination, we may be tempted to just lie down and, and, and die or just kind of give up and drown. But if we can find the courage to hope, God, who never tires, can give us strength, strength to soar on wings like eagles. Have you ever seen an eagle soar, by the way? Maybe you have. Maybe you've seen an eagle. There are more of them about now. For a long time, bald eagles at least were on the uh, endangered species list, but they've slowly uh, come back. Now I actually see bald eagles all the time. I see them uh, down at Lake of the Ozarks. I see them along the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. And if you've seen eagles fly, you know how majestic bald eagles look, just soaring uh, in the air. They just glide catching wind currents and soaring higher and then lower. Sometimes they don't even have to flap their, their wings for a long extended period of time. They could just keep riding currents, flying endlessly. Soaring eagles are an image of freedom and strength and endurance as they just keep going. For those of us weighed down by life, imagine just soaring high above all your problems. All your dysfunctions, all your guilt, all your sin, all your fears, all your anxiety. Imagine just soaring high above it all. Hello. Just riding the currents, just soaring. Or if you don't think you'll ever soar, maybe you're afraid of flying. Imagine just running without growing weary. Some of you are runners. Imagine just running forever. Or if you're not a runner, if you're more of a walker, I'm a walker. Imagine just walking without growing faint. Isaiah says our hope can make us fly, but it can also give us strength to run or just walk. Uh, You might look at the remaining days of your life, you might wonder how you can possibly make it, but imagine having the strength to finish the race. Just, Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You can walk, you can run, you can soar, you can swim through the hope available to you in Jesus Christ. Even as everything falls down around you, you can rise above. Honestly, I thought of this passage a lot, like a lot, after our son passed away. A lot. After he died, I would go on long walks. Like I said, I'm a walker. Uh, just to think and pray and, and, and grieve. I'd walk along River de Pere, uh, down by where we live. Around this time, in fact, uh, two bald eagles had actually built a nest in the woods next to River de Pere. People would come from all over just to uh, come look for and watch the eagles. Me too. I, I'd, I'd linger down by the woods hoping to catch a glimpse. And every now and then I, I would. I'd see them gliding high in the air above the river. If you want to call it a river, it's more the Depair Ditch as we affectionately refer to it. I'd see them riding high above the ditch, disappearing behind the trees for a second, and then reappearing above the trees. I'd see them down by Watson. I'd run up and, and see them over by Gravoy. I'd, I'd run up and I'd see them down by Morganford. I'd see them soaring and swooping. They wouldn't stop flying. They'd just, they'd just keep flying forever. It gave me strength. 
strength to keep going for however long I need to keep going. Not the eagles. The eagles didn't be strength. They're just pretty birds. You know, the one who fashioned them gave me strength. The one who drew me to them gave me strength. Uh, the, the God who raised his son from the dead, from, from the bucket with the rats, and raised his son up on eagles' wings to the throne of heaven. He's the one, Yahweh, he's the one who gave me strength. But this isn't just about me. We all know what it's like to suffer. We all know what it's like to lose loved ones. We all know what it's like to battle depression. We all know what it's like to uh, struggle with disappointment. We all know weariness. Even you, even you young folks, you know what it's like to grow weary. Isaiah says, you young people, even the young studs stumble and fall. But in the midst of that, God wants to give you hope. It's the hope of the gospel, the hope that all is not lost, the hope that your loved ones are not lost forever, the hope that you will not be mired in sin and sadness forever, and you can have that hope. You can have that hope in Jesus Christ. You can have that hope in Jesus Christ today, who died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead. That hope is your strength. That hope is your joy. That hope is your, 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 your generosity. That, that hope is your love. That hope is your faith. That hope can make you walk. That hope can make you swim. That hope can make you run. That hope can make you soar. So where do you get your hope? You've got to get from somewhere. Where do you get your hope? Operation Hope Exchange? Or from Jesus Christ, our living hope, who alone can give us strength to carry on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for opening your truth up to us uh, through the mysteries of your holy word, through prophecies and poetry from thousands of years ago. I know um, my friends and brothers and sisters here, we all struggle with hopelessness sometime, some of us more than others. And we live pretty well here in the West. We've got all sorts of conveniences and Opportunities to succeed and be happy. But I am not fooled by the glitz, by the progress. We are a hopeless species. We're all going to die by something that will destroy everything that we have, everything we know. And we are all overwhelmed by sin and addiction and brokenness. We are drowning in uh, buckets of water with no way of escape. There's no reason to be optimistic. There's not maybe a hole at the bottom of the bucket that we can crawl out of. There's no way out. Uh, you are hope. You are the hand from atop the bucket that can reach down and save us and lift us high on eagle's wings to the new heavens and the new earth. You showed us that you could do that. You did it in Jesus Christ. You rescued him from the bucket. And if the past is any guide, and it is, we look forward to the same. Until then, give us strength. Our hope is our strength. The hope of what you will do will keep us walking, flying, swimming, running, 
I pray for those, especially this morning, who are depressed. I know them, I love them, you do too. It's hard for them to maintain hope. But there is hope for them. There is hope for anybody who looks not to their own circumstances, but to Jesus Christ. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for giving us hope through your word. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we close our prayer time this morning, Father, as we do in the first week of every month by reciting together words that Christians have been reciting for generations, words of truth, words of hope, words of the Apostles' Creed, which will be on the screen for those who need them. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, a communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.